The scripture reading today is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do, for I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich towards God. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Let us pray. Gracious God, we ask now that you would meet us here, however we find ourselves this morning. Some of us walk in here today and we are tired. Some of us walk in here today and we are anxious. Some of us may count today as one of the biggest acts of courage we've ever had just to come to church or maybe to come back to church, to try it on again. However we find ourselves in this room today, Help us to believe that you have arranged this moment, that you see us in all of our complexity, and help us to know that you look down on us with eyes of love and care and compassion. Give us grace today to access that, to understand that love through the person and work of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You got your stuff with you? I'll bet you do, in your pockets, in your purses. Stuff is important. you got to take care of your stuff. That's what life is all about, trying to find a place for your stuff. That's what your house is. It's a place to keep your stuff. If you didn't have so much stuff, you wouldn't need a house. You could just walk around all the time. A house is just a pile of stuff with a cover on it. You can see... That when you're, you can see that when you're taking off in an airplane. You look down, you see everybody's got a little pile of stuff. Little places of stuff. And when you leave your house, you got to lock it up. Because you wouldn't want somebody to come in and take your stuff. 
the stuff that they always take the good stuff. They never bother with the bad stuff that you're saving. All they want is the shiny stuff. Because that's what your house is, a place to keep your stuff while you go out and get, right, more stuff. Now, I didn't think of that riff. That's a George Carlin riff. If you've heard it before, he does it way better and much more profanely than I just did. (laughs) Alas, I'm not a cussing preacher, so I cleaned it up a little. But Jesus' parable in this week's reading from Luke is usually known as the rich fool, and it could be titled Bigger Barns or even A Place for Your Stuff. Like Carlin's monologue, the parable portrays a situation of tragic absurdity. A storage issue about space becomes also a a preservation issue about time. What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. The rich man, logical but costly solution is, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And we love storage here in the United States of America. The self-storage sector is huge, with an annual industry revenue of $39.5 billion, encompassing 49,000-plus storage facilities, taking up 1.9 billion square feet. Over 10% of American households have to rent storage for their stuff. Hoarding disorder is an official mental health diagnosis as of 2013 and has has been illustrated with various shows and documentaries about hoarding. To continue with George Carlin, so now you got a house full of stuff. And even though you might like your house, you got to move. Got to get a bigger house. Why? Too much stuff. And that means you got to move all your stuff or maybe put some of your stuff in storage. Storage, imagine that. There's a whole industry based on keeping an eye on other people's stuff. So let's summarize this parable today in our last installment of this summer series we've been through called Tell It Slant. Jesus declines a real-time request, uh, a real-time request to adjudicate a matter of family inheritance. The person says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? This is all the context we get, but the request, honestly, doesn't it sound reasonable? I mean, he's just wants, you know, he just, he doesn't want more than his brother. He just wants Jesus to advocate for basic fairness. But here's how Jesus responds. Take care, another translation, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, when, since when is desiring fairness the same thing as being greedy? What's going on with that? We'll get to that later. But if that's not confusing enough, Jesus keeps going, telling his listeners a parable about this rich landowner who carefully stores his wealth ahead of his retirement, only to learn that life is about to end And Jesus says, you fool your life, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? But again, what's wrong with planning ahead? I mean, what's wrong for saving for a rainy day? Making prudent choices when it comes to wealth management. And then Jesus concludes his parable with this warning. So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. What does that mean? To be rich toward God. I think Jesus is talking, actually, 
about an entire mindset that he wants us to adopt. A new way of thinking altogether about our relationship to stuff. And three things came up for me as I thought about this. Three juxtaposition. First, the mindset of independence versus interdependence. Independence versus interdependence. When the rich man talks in this parable, notice that he really only talks to himself. And the only person he refers to is himself. What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. He seems to have no thought of actually sharing any of his stuff with others. And no thought of what God might require of him. He's blind to the fact that his life is not his own to secure, that his life belongs to God, and that God can, be, God can demand it back at any time. But he also has no thought about how he's accumulated this stuff, because he hasn't done it by himself. He has no thought about the kind of community it takes for him to be this wealthy. There were no John Deere tractors in this day and age, no combines, getting the crop in required workers, lots of them. And he can't see the people who are actually doing all the work because greed apparently makes you blind to others. Someone whose name rhymes with Kim Watson sent me an article written by Kathy Escobar entitled, We Suck at Interdependence. Sorry to use those words, but there we have it. I've been thinking, she says, a lot about the state of the USA right now of the reality of the Delta variant raging through our country with a 1,000 deaths plus, day, plus deaths a day this past week, even when a solution is available. So here we are, fully masked again, rolling backwards, faced with a fall that requires the next level of creativity and commitment that is, frankly, more than just tiring. It's sad. Sad that we just suck at interdependence. Independence, personal freedoms, not in my backyard, nimbyism. We know better than all the people who have dedicated their lives and their educations to certain subjects. Trite, God's got me on this, isms, science isn't real until I need some medical care. It's always been present in our culture, in our churches, in our society. But now, faced with the biggest global health crisis in over 100 years, it's revealed more than ever. And she goes on to talk about how futile it feels to work for interdependence in the midst of such poisonous independence. She goes on to say, Yet still I believe in every part of my soul that it's worth, to work, worth, the, to work, worth the work to work on cultivating, creating, practicing, and doing everything possible to nurture interdependence in the places we can because our freedom is all tied up together. What happens across the world to women and children is happening to us. Our inability to battle COVID is reliant on all of us, or at least more of us, truly making sacrifices for each other, especially the most vulnerable, our children, our friends and family fighting serious diseases that keep them frightfully at risk. She goes on to say, our faith isn't just personal. It's supposed to have legs that walk toward the most vulnerable and offer support, care, and compassion. But interdependence requires something that we're not the best at, humility. 
needing each other, bending our knee for each other, making sacrifices for each other, respecting our shared humanity, shifting our ingrown eyeballs to a world crying out for hope, support, care. So compare, if you would, the independent thinking of building bigger barns for my stuff to what this man could be saying right now in light of his success. Do you know what he could be saying? He could be saying something like this. You workers all have done such a great job this year that my barns can't hold everything you've planted, cultivated, and harvested. Isn't that amazing? We have so much to be thankful for. Please come take what you can so you can use it so that it doesn't go to waste. And let's give away the surplus to the hungry in our community. I mean, he'd save money, frankly, by not tearing down and rebuilding bigger. But wouldn't that be a holy celebration? Wouldn't that be just a sacred moment? Wouldn't the farmer feel honored to be able to return something extra to those who'd made him successful? Mindset of independence versus interdependence. And secondly, a mindset of scarcity versus abundance. I mean, here's some things you already know, but you know, we, we connect scarcity to value. I mean, that's not new. We know that, right? I mean, why does Steph Curry get paid and take a deep breath? Why does Steph Curry get paid $655,000 per game? Whew. Okay, take a deep breath. Um, because he can do what almost no one else can do. Now, I know there's all sorts of other things there too, right? And how we value being entertained and so on and so forth. You know, but you don't go find diamonds in your backyard. No, they're, they're, they have to be you know, found deep in the midst of the earth, hiding, and, and, and they're, just, they're scarce, therefore they're valuable. And so we connect those two together. But it also, you know, we value scarcity, but it also scares us to death. It's also a great fear. Nadia Bowles-Weber says this, Our fear of scarcity leads us to see our lives through the lens of not enough rather than more than enough. Jesus tells a parable about a farmer who had a large harvest, and instead of seeing it as more than enough, he saw it as not enough, which is its own hell in a way when we live as though abundance is really scarcity. Because then, regardless of how much there is, it's never enough. Never enough money, never enough food, never enough attention, never enough love, never enough time, never enough social life, never enough good being done. That's only a scarce amount of what's valuable, so we must grasp at what is ours. What is it I hoard in fear of scarcity? My time? Do I hoard my heart, my energy? Now, I remember the first time that I came into a bit of money. It was in 1998. My uncle, who I really was not very close to at all, had not seen in years, died and left me and my siblings some money, around $15,000. Torelli and I were in seminary at the time, so my first thought was, well, boy, I can help pay for tuition and books. And I was really glad to have it, but my first thought, I remember it, my first thought was, is this enough? <laughs> Did I get enough here? How much others, did they get the same amount that I got? It just immediately started going in that way. 
because scarcity mindsets are relentless anxiety factories that drive us to some of the worst part of ourselves. Now, as we look at the man in the crowd, for example, who asks about his inheritance, maybe Jesus detects that this man can't see his own brother as anything more than an obstacle or a competitor. He's so concerned about possible scarcity that he doesn't even notice the actual abundance, Jesus, that's standing right next to him. And as for the rich landowner, Jesus sees a person drowning in self-absorption, enamored with his own power and oblivious to his own mortality, a proud, self-made man, an isolated, insecure man who lives in the hell of having abundance but opting for scarcity fear instead. And that's where scarcity mindsets will often land you, usually disconnected, insecure, and selfish. Now, someone should perhaps say right now, that's easy for you to say, Fred. You are a white man in America who got a college degree your parents paid for, and I'll bet my experience of financial and food anxiety surpasses yours by miles, and you would be right about that. I understand that real scarcity of food and money and the need for food justice and economic justice is a tragic reality in the richest nation in the world. But the scarcity mindset plagues everyone. It's a trap that drowns us in the urgent. Listen to this. It's a trap that drowns us in the urgent while we ignore the important, which will ensure even more scarcity. Having more, having less, neither will solve the scarcity mindset. I'm reminded of that place in the book of Philippians where Paul writes, I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little. I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty, and of being in need. Somebody says, that's impossible to have that mindset. And Paul goes on in the next sentence, I can do all things to him who strengthens me. I don't think we can do it on our own. Sarah Bessie, in a blog entitled Rethinking Scarcity, said this, The myth of scarcity tells the powerful to accumulate and take and dominate, to be driven by the fear of not enough and never enough, she writes. We make our decisions out of fear and anxiety that there isn't enough for us. These core beliefs can lead us to the treacheries of war and hunger, injustice and inequality. We must keep others down so we can stay on top. We stockpile money and food and comforts at the expense of one another and our own souls. And then further, as the church, we are called to exist in a prophetic community, an alternative to the narratives of the world living out the kingdom of God in our right now lives. There isn't scarcity, not really. There's more than enough if we live like Jesus. For instance, scarcity tells us to work until we drop. We've got to hustle, hustle, hustle to get ours and then to keep it. But in the liturgy of abundance, we practice Sabbath. Exhaustion and burnout are symptoms of scarcity. Wholeness, joy, and rest are hallmarks of a life lived within abundance. If you want more on this kind of thinking, I would, I would encourage you to follow on Instagram an account called Nap Ministry. Is it Nap Ministry or The Nap Ministry? Do you know? It, you'll find it. But it, it's, it's just filled with ways in which we... We just have to stop 
and catch our breath and be present in the present moment. It encourages us to do that. What might it mean for you to adopt an abundance mindset no matter your circumstances? An abundance mindset is rooted in your union with God. Already in place, already there, waiting for you to discover, rediscover, and enjoy God's loving gaze upon you. It's rooted in believing deeply God's love for you. And the invitation is for you, honestly, to love yourself the way God already loves you. You are more than what you can acquire. You are more than what you can produce. You are more than your usefulness to others. You are enough. God is with you and all will be well are three of the hardest things to believe and three of the most liberating things you can believe. And then lastly, and I'll land this plane, the juxtaposition of greed versus gratitude. You know, all three of these juxtapositions in this sermon I've talked about are all interconnected. How do we stoke and trust an abundance mindset? Interdependence, knowing we're not alone and being reminded of it all the time. How do we stoke interdependence? Gratitude, knowing that everything we have is from God, from cooperation with one another and living with an open hand. I mean, I had a Sunday school teacher that used to say the same thing, say this, that thing about tithing. If you're not used to that word or never heard it before, maybe it just triggers you. It, it's the practice of giving away 10% of your income that Christians have borrowed from kind of the, the Hebrew scriptures as a sort of baseline. It should lead us all to say, he would say, this Sunday school teacher, we get to keep 90% of what's not ours to begin with. What a deal. Not bad, huh? Good Sunday school teacher. We get to keep 90% of what's not ours to begin with. Of what's not ours to begin with. If you weren't raised in the church, that may sound outlandish, giving away 10% of your gross income to your local church, but it also might be liberating. But you can see that this isn't merely about generosity, but gratitude driving generosity. If you believe, or for some of us, Remember that we all have been given, all that we have has been, is given to us from God, that the world and everything in it belongs to God, and that every good thing we have received has been given for the good of ourselves and our neighbor and the world God loves. I think that is the way in which we become rich toward God. That all that I have is God's anyway. I'm just a trustee or a steward of all these gifts. I mean, this is one of the few times you'll see in the New Testament where Jesus, maybe the only time where Jesus says something like, watch out for some kind of vice of some kind. He doesn't say, watch out upon the stealing, it'll creep up on you. He doesn't do that. Most things we need to repent of in our lives, we see conscious choices that we're, that we're made. But greed is sneaky. This is why he says, watch out. It's sneaky. Therefore, gratitude must be intentional. It must be intentional, a daily spiritual practice of recognizing the abundance that God has given us. In other words, I think being rich towards God is more an act of receiving than giving. Because if we receive and get just a taste of God's love for us, filling us with gratitude, we will find generosity naturally follows because gratitude liberates us from the fear and anxiety 
of scarcity. Because in a world that begs us to live in the scarcity of not enough, the love and grace of God is something that never runs out, that gives us something to rest in. And having received it, we are free to give it away as passionately and indiscriminately and wantonly as God does himself. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask today, as we look at just yet another challenging parable, that you would give us courage. Courage to do some inventory about our relationship to our possessions. To our mindset of scarcity that is the default drive of the system in which we live that we'd have the courage to ask hard questions each day and be, make a, a daily discipline of stoking gratitude in our lives. Help us to be present in this moment. To listen well to the guidance of your Spirit as we seek to be people who have been liberated from the love of money. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.